Welcome to the Niche Enrollment Insights Podcast. I'm Will Patch, Enrollment Marketing Leader here at Niche, and this episode will be a bit different, but I hope just as valuable. To celebrate one year of podcasting, this week I'll bring some of our most popular Enrollment Insights webinars to you in podcast form. I've trimmed up the opening a bit, but otherwise all the content is there. You can find the slides and additional resources in the show notes, linked in the podcast description, or at niche.bz podcast. My name is Kira Whalen, and I'm the B2B Marketing Coordinator here at Niche. I'll be handling the Q&A throughout the presentation, and any questions that I can't answer, I'll be directing towards Jeremy and Will at the end. And I'll go ahead now and hand things over to Jeremy Tears and Will Patch. Awesome. Thanks, Kira. This is Jeremy Tears, and Will and I are super excited that you decided to spend 45 minutes with us today. We're going to cover a number of things regarding this survey we just did with over 31,000 high school seniors about how they're navigating their college search during the pandemic and just what they're wanting from colleges with the hopes that you guys are going to all be able to take away a number of things that you can put into action right away. So I'm hoping that many of you, before I turn over to Will here, have had a chance to go through some of the data that we shared with everybody. If you haven't, that's okay. We're going to hit a lot of the high points today but I know Will and I would love to spend a ton of time just doing Q&A and hearing how things are going for you or hearing what you're working through. And I know Will will cover how that's going to happen. So over to Will. Yeah, thanks, Jeremy. I'm Will Patch. Uh, I'm Enrollment Marketing Leader here at Niche. You know, one of the most important things we do is communicating with students. I mean, that's how you build the relationships, how, how they figure out whether or not uh, your college is the right one for them. Uh, so we asked a lot of questions here about how colleges are communicating what the students' perceptions of those are, and what colleges can do to do a better job. Jeremy, what do you think? Well, there's a good and bad news, and so I'll start with the bad news first because nobody likes bad news. The bad news is 48% of students in this survey said that all the communications they're getting right now, emails, letters, postcards, it all looks and sounds the same. The other two options in the survey were it felt somewhat personal or it felt very personal. And as you can see, only 8% of students said that the communications they're getting from colleges and universities right now feels very personal. So the good news in all of this is that's a major opportunity for all of you who are spending some time with us today. I'm sure we've got admissions counselors on here all the way up to uh, director and AVP level. And I'm sure we have some marketing communications teams on here too. Any of you, no matter what your role is, when you communicate with prospective students, need to keep a couple of things in mind. One of the biggest things, if not the biggest thing, that prospective students say they want more of throughout their college search from start to finish is personalization. Meaning, one of the things I do, to give some quick context to everybody in the room who's not familiar with me, I'm the director of admission services for a company called Tutor Collegiate Strategies. And one of the big things that I do 12 months of the year is I do staff training workshops. And so I'll go and I'll work with admissions teams. Obviously, that's been a lot of virtual work the last eight months, as well as marketing and communication staffs. And we do additional focus group research at TCS. And so much of the feedback around advice they would give to admissions and enrollment officers is you got to make it about me. This process does not feel like it's about me. I feel like it's getting a ton of information shoved down my throat from all of these different schools. And I'm already, as Will and I will talk about later, scared and nervous and anxious about this whole process in the first place. And obviously now that's been magnified because of all of the pandemic stuff that we're going through, all the social injustice stuff the last eight months we've been going through. 
And when you don't personalize the process, what most students tell us they do is I hit that pause button. And some hit the pause button for a long time and some hit the pause button until something you send them or another school sends them feels personal and gets their attention in a way that then offers an opportunity for them to engage. And so I would encourage you as you're thinking about the emails you send, the letters you send, the phone calls, texts, video chats, virtual events, all of that, the goal should always be to get a back and forth conversation going with either the student, parent, family member you're talking with, or as many of the students, if for example, you're doing a virtual event as you can. And so if we click to that next slide there, Will, when you're thinking, well, what channel should I be using? For years, we have been asking this and all the survey research that Nish and, and TCS did validated everything we've seen for six, seven years, and I'm sure you've seen it from other, other companies too, email remains the preferred method of communication. Uh, I firmly believe a lot of students just default to saying email because that's what they expect and that's what they're used to. For you, obviously, as an admissions professional, marketing communications professional, the, it's a great opportunity because obviously you can send out and segment through your CRM so many of these messages to make them feel personal. So let me give you a couple quick tips on what that might look like from an email standpoint. And again, some of you who uh, may have gone through the data already, some of this is in there, but again, I would love to hear when we get to Q&A later, how are you doing if you're doing this? Is it working? If it's not working, let's talk about that. But when you're sending your emails, the first and obvious thing is your subject line. I think we all know how important that subject line is. The big thing most colleges and universities continue to do, and I see this because another thing we do is comm audits for a lot of colleges and universities is, you put the student's first name and you put your college's name in the subject line. The problem with that is when students scroll through their inbox or families scroll through their inbox, it all runs together. It doesn't stick out and get their attention because they see their name literally almost in every subject line or their first name. Instead, I want you to think, what subject lines can I do to grab their attention in a different way? How can I create curiosity? How can I pretty much stick out and have them go, whoa, what is this? I wanna click on that. So let me give you a couple examples. One that has worked unbelievably well for every person I've ever recommended it to that's either a marketing professional or an admissions professional over the year is, all right, what scares you? question mark. And then the gist of a message like that might be, hey, listen, we understand this is a hard, scary, confusing process. Like, let's talk about that. Let me know how you're feeling. Something like that is something that students can relate to and it feels more personal. And then when you get into the body of your email, it's the language and it's the tone you use real quick. If you start your email with dear, please stop. Students hate it, it's outdated, and they tell us it screams, this is a mass email that was not written for me. That's what they perceive when they see language like dear, or when they see lots of big words that they don't understand, and they see overly formal language, they again tell us this is just a mass generated message that either was this person's name put on the message, or it's something that they've just been generating for years that, hey, I'm just the next person in line to get this message. So it's so important in the language you use to make it sound like you're talking with the reader, not at the reader. And you're trying to get them to understand, hey, I may not know where you're at in this process, but here's what I'd love to know. Have you started applying, for example? Or you came and you started your application, but you haven't finished it yet. Like, let's talk about that. How come you did stop? Did you run into an issue, just got busy? If you wanna know things like that, 
and do it in a personal way that gets them to engage, your emails, again, need to have subject lines that sound and look different, and the language and tone you use in those messages needs to, okay, sound a lot more conversational. And if any of you are worried that if I sound more conversational, that's gonna make me unprofessional, I promise you it's the exact opposite. What students and parents and families consistently tell us is, it's more believable and you're more relatable when you use that kind of language. So just a couple quick tips there on what you can do to personalize those messages. The other thing I'll add before Will jumps to the next slide is, even though phone call, the percentage is 5%, I can tell you, and mail is 4%, that in surveys, again, that we've done just with TCS and clients we've done over the years, phone call and mail, and by mail I mean an actual letter that goes in the mail, not a glossy brochure that you send, an actual physical letter, students tell us consistently that a letter and a phone call, when done right, because phone calls are a whole nother conversation, feel more personal than any text or any email you can send them. Because what students also understand, because they're tech savvy, especially with this generation is, they know you can automate text messages and emails. All right, they know and they also believe that it takes more effort and time for you to schedule a phone call and then actually conduct one with them or put together a letter and actually send it to them in the mail. Yeah, and I think it's important to note this is their top choice. What's their top preference? They can only select one. And when you think about if you've done secret shopping, the amount of bad mail you receive where if you just blocked out the name, you'd have no idea who sent it. Uh, and the, the number of phone calls where it's, hi, I'm so-and-so from so-and-so college, and I'm just checking in. That's not, that's not a meaningful use. And they get so used to that, right, Jeremy? They get so used to that that they, that's not their preference. They say, you know, I don't need more of the same. Yeah, that's it. It all goes back to personalization, like Will said. They're tired of getting the same. They just want you as best as you can, again, as an admissions professional, or again, if you're the one writing the messaging for your admissions and enrollment team, try to understand what they're going through and actually allude to that in some of your messaging. And it's so much easier then for you to get all the questions you want answered when they look and they go, wait a sec, or they sit in their brain and they process and they go, you're actually making it about me. You're actually about things I'm thinking about. Oh, if I feel like you're trying to help me, I'm happy to share those things. Because that's the other positive thing. I think there's this notion of, especially with phone calls, you know, I do trainings and I'm asked, all right, let me just talk about the elephant in the room. Put up your hand if you like making phone calls. I'm lucky if I get one or two hands out of every enrollment team. I get it. But here's the thing. While most of the you know, student population going through their college search is okay with phone calls, they just want it done a different way, as Will said. They don't want random cold calls from random people with the same script like Will said. They want you to call when you have a, an important reason and something you want to talk to them about and they want you to schedule the call ahead of time, and then they want you to be the one to lead the conversation and not just be like, hey, do you have any questions? What can I, because they're scared as we'll get to later, and it affects the level of engagement with you. Back over to you, Will. So here we're, we're jumping in, not only just their top preference, but if you were going to contact them weekly, what's okay? What is something they, they would be acceptable to hear from you weekly? Uh, and again, I think it comes down to how well done is it? And again, you see email. Most students are okay getting an email weekly. When you jump down to mail or text, then it falls off pretty significantly, about half. 
uh, because there are so many just form texts, form mails, uh, you know, even reaching out to them on social media, you know, 41% say that it's okay to do that weekly. You know, that's, that's surprising. A quarter think it's okay to give them a call weekly, you know, as long as you have a reason. Just calling and saying, hey, just checking in again without a, or, or only even asking yes, no questions. If it's not open-ended, if you're not learning anything, if you're not giving them anything, it's a wasted call. It's wasted time. Yeah, and I'll add one more thing to what Will said there because he made a very, very important point that I know I hammer home with admissions counselors or if any of you work with student callers who are going to be a part of calling campaigns or quite honestly, even faculty, if they're helping you with this. I mentioned earlier a couple of minutes ago the importance of what I would call leading the conversation. And so let me add one thing to that real quick. When you're leading the conversation, which again is not just asking a basic vanilla question as Will and I discussed, hey, what can I help you with or what, what which those aren't wrong, but students don't know what direction you want them to go when you ask such an open-ended question like that. So it is super important, not just in your phone calls, but also your emails, your text messages, your video chats, your in-person stuff when we get back to more of that. You have to be direct and intentional with the questions you ask. Like right now, I guarantee you a ton of people listening to this are dealing with a couple of different groups of students real quick. You got a bunch of students who have started an application and haven't finished it yet. And you got a bunch of what most schools call inquiries and prospects, who again, you've been sending various levels of messaging for weeks or months, and they have done nothing. They haven't communicated with you. They haven't done a virtual event. They haven't done up and you know shown up and done a socially distanced in-person event, if that's even a possibility at your school. If you want to know why those students haven't done things, sending them another message to tell them to sign up for the next one or to here's the app link, go do it, is not going to work with 98% of the population. Instead, it's about personalizing that communication and trying to figure out why haven't they done that. And that is going to create a conversation that then will allow you to figure out, well, what do I need to help them with before they're willing to take the next step? Or who could I connect them with? Or what do they want to know about our college or university before they'll take the next step? So back over to you, Will. One thing that a lot of people see as being your low barrier of entry is social media. You know, how are you reaching out? Hey, if we just put up, let's, let's get our own admissions Twitter. Let's get our own, you know, the new shiny object is TikTok. You don't need to over-segment. You don't need to try and be everywhere. Uh, it, you know, people say, oh, well, it's free to be there. Well, there's there's costs. You know, you have time. If you're spending your time creating content for Instagram, that's time you could be spent somewhere else. You know, it, while it is a low barrier of entry, it's also hard to do well. Uh, most students at this time during their college search, you know, most of these seniors have already looked up colleges on social. You know, this is why... And we did a, a data dive into the call to action links or CTAs to see what was being engaged with and what wasn't. One of the lowest engagements was with a social media CTA. Because if they want to look you up on social, they already know how. They put in Indiana University or Caltech or whomever, they know how to find you. I mean, they live on social already. You know, that's not what they need. Most of them that want to already have. Now, what's interesting is that it's very focused in terms of what they're looking for and where they're looking. They're, they're looking, you can see very, very quickly here, the top two that, uh, that people are engaging with, they're looking for that visual content. They're looking for 
you know, what can I see? What can I look at? They don't want to read big blocks of text. Uh, so they want to be able to experience it and visualize themselves there. You know, every office you're short on time. If you're going to be focusing your recruitment content, focus on Instagram. I mean, that should be your top one. That's the only one where more than half of the people who had checked out of college on social have actually looked. You know, everything else you fall significantly down. YouTube is number two, uh, and that's still less. Everything else is less than a quarter. So you're seeing a lot of people who are trying to invest a bunch of time in TikTok. That's the new shiny object. We're, you know, we're going to have our, our student ambassadors on there. We're going to have an admissions account. We're going to have a main university account. Just because our students are on a platform does not mean they want to engage with colleges there. You know, that's the same reason that I say they left Facebook. As soon as, as mom and dad and grandma and grandpa get on Facebook, they're not interested anymore. They want to be there to connect with their friends, not specifically to do these other tasks. Uh, you know, that's the same reason that you, there's a lot of people who, who are pumping the brakes on Facebook ads because you're just not seeing the engagement. That's not why they're on the platform. Uh, you have to think about providing them not only what they want that's relevant, but also in the place that's relevant to them. So sharing the student takeovers, the student profiles, day in the life, dorm views, or residence hall views. Uh, you can tell I didn't work in student affairs. Uh, <laughs> those, those are going to be what they're looking for. You know, take advantage of the platform. Instagram, short and snappy. You know, YouTube, you can do some longer form things. Uh, you know, they're going to have a much longer shelf life. You get the SEO benefits of it's easier to find in search results. Uh, so invest there and, and definitely get the user-generated content. Get the student voice there first and foremost. That's what's going to get you the most engagement. A big thing that we've been looking at, uh, you know, virtual events, that's been the biggest transition this year. It definitely should play a role going forward. Uh, you know, that, now that you've gotten your feet wet and you've made these, these investments, the nice thing about virtual events is the flexibility they provide. If you have recorded events, if you have a landing page that essentially serves as a group visit with multiple videos and intros and virtual tour, that's something that's evergreen. At 1 a.m., if a student wants to go in and see campus, they can take a tour, essentially. You know, you don't have to worry about, well, do they have time on this one Saturday afternoon in September? You have that ability to reach families where they are when they need it. We did see uh, just over half of students so that they have attended a virtual event or information session. That's great. You know, the, the even better news is that the majority of them said they had a great experience. Uh, the number of students who said that they attended a virtual event and it was a negative experience for them, I'm willing to bet was on par or lower than what we see when we're talking about on-campus sessions. You know, it's, it, you can go and experience what you want to. You can take the tour. You can tune in to different sessions. You aren't forced to spend an hour listening to someone who's walking backwards pointing at buildings. If you want to jump straight from the athletic facilities to go see the classrooms to the residence hall, you can do that. You know, if you're, if you're only interested in the arts, you can skip the other portions of the tour. There's a lot of flexibility here. You know, even though offices are building the plane as it's flying, it's working for students. They appreciate it. You know, four out of five students who said they attended it would attend another one. I mean, that really says something, that they are having a good experience, even though we're all just trying to get things cobbled together at this point. You know, the nice thing, students said that they don't all have to be live either. They actually preferred 
a blend of live and pre-recorded sessions. They want that mix. You know, you can watch a few recordings, you can jump over to a Q&A session uh, where you have some admission staff and students, you know, have things mixed up. Don't just make them sit there and watch the same thing over and over or have a two-hour live Q&A or two-hour live event. No one wants to sit there that long, right? Uh, as we all sit on Zoom calls all day anyway, think about what the students are experiencing. You know, having these sessions that they can watch in an ad hoc manner for this common content, whether that's academic sessions or intros, you know, that's a good way to let them get to what's most important to them. Not always the most engaging. So if you intersperse it with these live Q and A's, feedback sessions, mixer events where they can connect uh, as as the students who are attending. That's going to work a lot better for you. Knowing when to hold your events has been a common question this year. I'm sure you're getting that a lot too, right, Jeremy? Yeah, it's a, a massive question around when do we hold it? And, and you can see, obviously, the data here. Um, you're going to get a, lo a lot of stuff all across the board. But the majority continue to tell us, in a perfect world, if your content, which is what we'll get to next, is appealing to me and interesting to me and helpful to me, I'm probably going to come all right, on the weekend and at some point either in the morning, all right, or in the afternoon. Now, that doesn't mean you can't have it during the week, but again, Saturdays, Sundays, much more appealing. And as Will mentioned earlier, it's really, really, really important to have a balance of live and pre-recorded content so that that student, as Will said earlier, who wants to go on at 1 a.m., all right, or they're on West Coast time and your event happens to be on East Coast time, and they don't want to get up early on a Saturday or a Sunday, they can still go back later and they can watch it all and then engage, obviously, hopefully in ways with you after. So if we'll click to the next slide, I know there's a few questions I continue to get probably more than anything else when it comes to virtual events. And many of you listening, again, if you are involved in virtual events or you're an admissions counselor, you're probably starting to figure out we can't do like an hour, hour and a half, two hours. And I know there are a lot of colleges and universities who are trying to do that right now. And they're all finding pretty much the exact same thing. Number one, nobody's showing up in the first place, meaning I can tell you there are schools who are having, you know, as a, just a random example, okay, 100 people sign up for your virtual information session. They're getting 65, 70% no-show rates, okay, for a whole host of reasons that we can talk about here in a minute. But then those who do show, there is significant drop off, all right, after that 30 to 45 minute mark. I mean, you can see the data right there. 71% of students said, hey, if it's between 30 and 45 minutes, I'll show up. And, you know, the data also showed in this survey, 79% said, I'm not staying more than 45 minutes. <laughs> and here's the difference between virtual and your on-campus event. In your on-campus information session, their only option if they want to leave is what? Get up in the middle of somebody speaking and literally walk out the door. Not going to happen in most cases. They will suck it up and they'll deal. Exact opposite, right, when it's virtual. Number one, most students, as I'm sure you're finding, don't even turn their camera on. And number two, if they, at some point, five minutes, 10 minutes, 45 minutes in, are like, this isn't what I was looking for, this isn't helpful, I'm done, click and they're gone. And there's absolutely nothing you can do about that. And that's a huge missed opportunity because, as Will said earlier, most students are comfortable with virtual events. And a lot of them absolutely are more than willing if you will change some things. And so as Will gets to the next slide, let's talk about 
what some of the things are that need to change if your virtual events aren't going well. The first one, which was on the previous slide, and Will, you don't need to click back, was the timing, right? We've talked about when on weekends to do it. We've also talked about the length. You should be doing a lot shorter, more segmented sessions, and let me explain what I mean. If you wanna talk about financial aid, for example, that should be the focus of your entire all right, virtual event. Don't try to talk about seven or eight different topics, meaning it's not wrong to do that, but that, among other things, is gonna make your event longer than it needs to be. So if you have, for example, a group of admitted students right now who are seniors, which almost every school out there has, you know the next step for them is to get them to start thinking about the FAFSA and start thinking about financial aid and what needs to happen. So make an information session, all right, around that for 25 or 30 minutes, that's it. And I want you in your pre-event communications, whether you write them or you have somebody in marketing and communications help you with them, double down and promote the fact that it's only gonna be 25 to 30 minutes. Because I can tell you and could give you literally dozens of examples of colleges and universities who have told me over the last two, three months, they have doubled down and done exactly what I said, made it shorter, made it more segmented and promoted in the emails, text messages, whatever they send ahead of this. Like this is gonna be 25, 30 minutes. You can come as you go. They are getting much better show rates and they're getting much higher, again, sign up numbers. Because students at least understand, okay, good, this is gonna be quick, short. It's not gonna take my entire day or a couple of hours. The next part then, right, becomes how you present. And I keep getting this whole you know, notion thrown at me of everybody has Zoom fatigue. Okay, yes and no. Meaning, no question, a lot of students are tired of staring at a screen. But here's the thing, they do it all day, every day on their phone. You know that, I know that, Will knows that. So why are they okay doing that? Well, let's just be honest, it's their friends and it's content they find interesting. So I know so many of you listening know this, but I'm gonna say it anyways, please don't take it personally, but so much of the not showing up and or not sticking around is because the content is boring and it's not appealing and the speakers sound like they've been told what to say and it's way too scripted. That's not what prospective students going through this process want, okay? And I know so many schools are like, how do we get them to engage? Well, if you look at the slide right now that we've got up there, Yes, students are comfortable asking questions, but it's not live during your event if you're doing a live event. And that's because of fear, which again, we'll talk to later. They don't wanna ask something that could be perceived as a dumb or I should know that question in front of a room of their peers and or admissions counselors who may have some impact over whether that student gets admitted to their college or university or not. So you need to, the last part I'll throw in here, is make sure you have a good post-event communication strategy, meaning what personalized outreach are you going to do, knowing, again, as you can see the data on the screen, that 39% of students are okay with their admissions counselor following up after and actually doing a phone call or a video chat. And another 25% are okay if you shoot them an email after as a way to try to engage and figure out, hey, was, was that helpful? I mean, what other questions now do you have or what are you thinking about the next step? Are you thinking you're more likely to apply now? Are you thinking there are other questions you need answered now? So, and if Will goes to the next slide, when you're trying to come up with your content, if you don't wanna be repetitive and again, boring as we'll use, because that's what the word students use is, these are the things 
that your content should be in your virtual events. They want to know about your dorms and campus life. You can call it residence life, by the way. There's nothing wrong with that. 18-year-olds still call it dorms, just to be clear. All right. They want to know about financial aid and how you're going to try to make it affordable if they choose your college or university. They want to see the dorms. They don't just want you to talk about the dorms. They would love to actually have a visual, all right, if they can't be there, like show me what the residence halls look like and all of the common areas on campus that are like popular hangout spots. That's the kind of information along with the other stuff on the screen there that you should be talking about. And then the last part is who's doing the talking, right? And if Will jumps to that next slide there, so much of who they want to hear from boils down to two people. Admissions counselors, if you want to be a part of the content, fine. But again, back to what I said a couple of minutes ago, it has to make sound, again, like it's helpful and interesting and not, again, boring and scripted. And they want to hear the current student point of view so much. That's what they miss not being able to come to your campus, right? One of the best things that the campus visit, we all know this, gives them is a feel, right? The feel of campus is so important. Well, if they can't get that feel, they can still get feelings when they come to virtual events. They can feel whether it's helpful. They can feel whether the students seem excited to talk about these different aspects of their student experience. But your events literally should have one, two speakers from different groups and or a bunch of students and maybe an admissions counselor all giving short, quick takes where the event is shorter. And again, there is more opportunity afterwards for engagement. And so with that, we'll jump to this last part that we want to talk with you about, which is, okay, how are they navigating this search experience? And so one of the things, you know, that we continue to see is it's risky from a standpoint of students in their brain are saying, God, we're dealing with a pandemic. We're dealing with social injustice now more than ever before over the last eight to 10 months. Like, it's a little scarier for me. And that's the words they use. They use scary a lot for me to think about college. Now, that doesn't mean students are saying, oh, I'll be okay if I go online. No, I think, Will, correct me if I'm wrong. It was like 1% of students that said, I'd prefer an online education over an in-person one. Yeah, but obviously, just 1%. They, yeah, but they want to feel safe. And by safe, I don't necessarily just mean safe from a health standpoint. I absolutely mean that. But they also want to feel like if I'm going to some of these areas that are bigger, larger cities, and I'm not, I haven't grown up in an area like that, am I going to feel safe on your campus and walking around in the different communities? So those are things I want you to be thinking about and possibly addressing in things like virtual events in your communications. And so if we go to the next slide there, Will, one of the other things that I probably talk about more than anything else in these workshops and trainings I do, like I offer very few guarantees, okay? But I will offer one guarantee for all of you listening today, and I know so many of you listening have done this, and I hope some of you in the chat, when we get done here in a few minutes, will throw this out on how it's worked for you. But fear is so important as a talking point, especially in a personalized one-on-one -on -one setting. Well, what do I mean by that? I mean from their admissions counselor or from a student in a virtual event talking about some of these different fears and things that they went through in their college search. Because even if it happened 12 months ago, it hasn't changed. You know, we've been asking much like, you know, Will, Will and I did in this survey of students for years at TCS about fear on surveys. And the two things that are number one and number two on this survey are always number one and number two. 
they're worried about cost and how they're going to pay for college because they've never had to think about that. It's the biggest life decision to this point they've made. And they're worried about making the wrong decision. How do I know this school is right for me? Sure, they have a major I'm interested in. Sure, but if I can't visit campus right now and all this other stuff's going on and I don't, how am I supposed to figure out and not get there and say, well, I chose this school because it was the cheapest school on my list. And now we're two months into school and I just don't feel comfortable. I don't feel like I fit in. I don't feel like I can make friends. Those are all things so many of students that you're dealing with right now are thinking about and nobody's asking them about. I want you to ask them about it in your messaging. I want you to ask them about it when you are face to face with them on video chat or in person. A basic question like what scares you the most about your college search will get you so much usable information and allow you to keep the conversation going. That is a guarantee. And as I said earlier, I make very, very few guarantees. But every person who tells me they do this and broaches a conversation around this topic tells me I can't believe how much they share with me, Jeremy. Because again, it's something that's on their mind so much. So back over to you, Will. You know, at this point in, in the student's consideration, uh, you know, almost half of students say they aren't concerned with that distance from home. Uh, we saw that a little bit on the last one. They're not feeling that, that anxiety of moving away from home. Uh, and that, that's a surprise. I mean, we saw in our survey of the senior class that a lot of them did choose to enroll closer to home. But this point here in the fall, I don't know if they're just hopeful that, that everything will magically be better by next fall or if they're more concerned with finding the fit right now. You know, we're going to have to see how this plays out. Uh, but in speaking to parents, they are concerned with how far away. They're encouraging their students to enroll closer to home or enroll online because they have those concerns right now. You know, one of the big points here is that we are still not seeing students say that they're gaining interest in online learning. You know, even though they, they're they getting used to it and they've been experiencing it, you know, that it's not a draw for them. Uh, and Niche's prior surveys, and, and you may have seen this as well, Jeremy, you know, they're saying that this experience has made them less interested in online learning than they had been prior. Yeah. Uh, so I think that speaks to they, they miss the connections. You know, they miss being with their friends. Uh, a lot of high schools just had to throw things together and, and get by. And so it wasn't the best experience for them. So if you're going to be using online learning, you have that added hurdle to get over that you need to be able to speak to. Here's how it's different than what you've experienced. Here's how we support you. Here's how you make connections. You know, that's that's what it's all about right now. You know, we also saw a lag in applications. Uh, the students are reported. I think this is going to behave like a rubber band. You know, we had a lot of students who were delaying and delaying and de delaying. They're not going to delay forever. A lot of these students are going to enroll. So that's going to snap back. And I really think we're going to see a rush of applications. Elections passed us here. We're getting back into Thanksgiving. Uh, we're getting into, into their semester breaks, whatever that looks like this year. I think there's just going to be a rush of applications now. They were delaying their decisions. You know, this is something that I think with a lot of anxiety, uh, a lot of uncertainties, a lot up in the air for them. Uh, so keep working with students, be empathetic, you know, and work to speak in personal ways uh, and really understand where they are. You know, what, where are they in the process? What are they anxious about? What's holding them back? You know, it's not just, hey, let's keep sending them an email that says, here's how to apply, or you can apply today. They already know that. So instead, build that connection and try and figure out what's blocking you from applying right now. You know, is there something we can help with or is it just other things going on in your life? Is it financial aid concerns? If so, 
we have resources, but if you don't know, you can't have those further conversations. And then one of the biggest storylines this year, we've seen this tipping point of test optional and test blind policies. Uh, you know, what I think it's over three quarters now of schools are test optional or test blind. You know, that means that they, that they aren't considering them in the same way or not considering them at all. Uh, now we're seeing almost half of students have not taken the SAT, ACT, or CLT. And more than a third of those who have taken it already are saying they don't plan on submitting their scores when they apply. You know, we're already starting to see reports now of colleges that still require a test for admission, uh, reporting being very far behind in applications. Uh, this is something to follow. You know, do the schools that still require it ditch those requirements? Do students change their mind? You know, I think it's going to be, there, there's just a lot of unknowns. We'll learn a lot uh, seeing what actually plays out. I think as you always see, you know, some of these students who thought they were going to submit it might realize, you know, if nobody else is, maybe I'm not going to. Or you might see some of these students who hadn't planned on submitting say, well, I really want to go to this college that's close to home, but they require me to send it in. I guess I have to then. Uh, so we'll see, you know, as the year goes on, what actually comes out of all this. But, I mean, the writing's on the wall that students are, are starting to say, it's not worth it. You know, is it worth risking my life to go take a test that only a quarter of schools say is important? Okay, now for the, the Q&A. Thank you, just as a reminder here, email will be going out Friday or Monday with the recording, the slides, all that. Here's how you can get in touch with us. We'll send out uh, some links in the email as well. Yeah, I'll kick it over to Kira for the Q&A. Thanks, guys. Um, we had quite a few questions come in. Um, some first ones around email communications. So some high school counselors say that their students just aren't in the habit yet of checking their email. Uh, what do you have to say to that? Yeah, a couple of things on that. Um, absolutely, that is one of the struggles. But I think one of the reasons Kira and whoever asked that question or anybody who's wondering about it is this idea of what is the benefit for me right now in going through my emails? If I'm three steps behind being ready, for example, to apply, why do I want to worry about going in and looking through all these emails that look and sound the same? So if you're trying to figure out, okay, well then how do I make some of these connections? I can tell you, all right, that trying to send out a much more targeted personalized email that is immediately followed up by a text message, for example, alerting them to the email is another way if you have obviously their contact information to be able to do something like that. I can also tell you, especially early on in the process, if you are willing to do direct mail, direct mail especially early on in the process, is something they get excited about. Before they get oversaturated with all the emails, right? This could be at the start of their senior year, this could be late in their junior year, and you're trying to figure out how am I gonna get their attention? That's another way to do it. But there are other mediums through text, through that. I don't want you to cold call, but if you're gonna cold call, be prepared obviously when they get on the phone to get their attention in the first six to nine seconds, because that's pretty much what the attention span is of all of us. That data is out there too. But I would argue so many of them, all right, will eventually go in and look at those emails. It's just a matter of time, as Will said before, that rubber band snaps. So I would tell you, keep sending those emails, but understand you may have to supplement those emails with some text messaging, with some phone calls, all right, with some direct mail if you can afford to do that as well. Yeah, I think I think that's spot on. I, I would also say you have to prime them a little. 
You know, I mean, the easiest thing to do is just flat out ask, you know, what uh, what's your preferred way to keep in touch? You know, if we have a deadline, if we need something from you, what's the best way to do that? And then have a field in your CRM that captures that. And so you can just base things off, you know, if, if you are, are missing a piece of the application and you know off the bat this person's preferred contact is by text, don't send them an email and tell them, hey, we're missing this piece. You know, send them a text. Uh, but you also have to prime them a little. So if you're going to be sending your important updates, deadlines, things like that via email, just tell them. Say, hey, be sure to check your email. We're, we're going to be sending updates about scholarship deadlines, about visit opportunities to your email. Uh, you know, give them that information that they have a reason to go check it and go look for yours. And Kara, one more thing before you jump to the next question that I think will be helpful for a lot of people listening that ties in with that is, it will be much easier later in the process to get their attention, especially on email, if those first emails that you send aren't from an admissions.edu email, all right, or from somebody in a position of leadership. Because I could show you all kinds of data around who they wanna hear from at the beginning of their college search, and the dominant answer is their admissions counselor. And so, so much again of this email, you know, issues in terms of getting, is it, it doesn't look like it's coming from a human being anyways, why would I bother opening it? So food for thought, but having it come directly from their admissions counselor is another good strategy, especially long-term that will pay off. Um, another question is, you know, this survey was uh, for seniors this fall, but how much can we extrapolate this for, you know, students who are maybe just freshmen or, or sophomores right now? Yeah, I mean, they're obviously not the application material. They're not that stage yet. But a lot of freshmen aren't quite there. You know, you'll have a few that are are thinking about colleges that are starting to research colleges. I think I think it's much more telling for juniors uh, because you have a lot of juniors who attend uh, these admissions events. So think about the same things you think about here uh, in terms of the visit experiences. They're going to apply for juniors. And in a way, I would say that the experiences here are going to, they're going to color and flavor their entire experience going forward. In the same way we saw uh, September 11th affecting the entire generation. And we saw, you know, going way, way back, the Great Depression affecting the entire generation. This experience of an extended lockdown, having to change so many things about their life, you know, think about that going forward uh, in terms of, trying to be sensitive to, we don't know what their families have gone through with this. So being flexible, being empathetic is going to be even more important. So definitely carry that through. They're going to have added fear, added anxiety. Uh, you know, they may have had family affected, they may have had family loss. So think about that going forward in terms of the added fears and anxieties that invest in, in counseling services invest in more opportunities for students to connect with each other once they're on campus because they need that that connectedness. Uh, we're seeing that a lot in the way that they're responding to things like this, but also just the where they're going to engage online. They want that human connection. So think about that with your with your virtual events because I hope virtual events play into your your strategy from here on out, just in terms of flexibility that if you want to grow out of state enrollment and you plan to go back to only in-person events, you're shutting out a group of people who have gotten used to being able to do things on demand. I mean, I think about like, you know, you can watch TVs, movies on demand. Why can't you research your college and do a visit event on demand? 
And I'll even go one step further for about another 15 seconds, Kira, before you jump to the next question. 98% in my mind of what Will and I just spent 45 minutes with you on, it's not going away anytime soon, none of it. Personalization will always be important with every single class coming behind you. Every single class coming behind you, even if you deal with non-traditional students, they're all scared, nervous, and worried about things in their college church. It's just different things, right? But asking about fear, trying to personalize, being empathetic, those things, those are gonna be tried and true, all right? For I don't know how long, but the foreseeable future, in my opinion. And we can still take a few more questions. If you need to jump off, thank you for coming. Uh, we'll we'll have all the rest of the questions here in the in the uh, recording. So don't feel like you're hurting our our feelings if you have other things to do. Uh, we'll make sure these these all get in there. Yeah, but if you want to ask questions, throw them on because Will and I will stay on for a few more minutes. So back over yeah. to you, Kara. Um, so we mentioned, you know, there's been kind of a stall in applications, but we're expecting a potential rush. Uh, when do you anticipate that happening? You know, the election distraction is over, but holidays are coming up. So December, January, um, a few months after that. I really think it's going to be in the next few weeks here. Uh, I mean, we just saw such a lag that there's going to be so many people who, okay, school's done or I have an extended break. I can mentally shift gears now. Uh, I mean, you have to think about in terms of, Think of the number of things that, that you have personally put off just because mentally I need that break. I can't do this right now. I'm going to set this aside, do it over Thanksgiving. I can think of several things myself. Uh, I don't know about you, Jeremy, but that's that's my thought. Yeah, and I agree. And, and kind of I'll give you a couple more pieces of advice that might be helpful for everybody listening. A couple other reasons, and we'll touched on these earlier in the presentation. Part of the reason students are so far behind right now is a couple of big things we're continuing to see. If they haven't been able to visit campus, you have a ton of students right now who in their brain logically are going, this is always a part of the college search process I thought I would do. Why would I fill out an application if I haven't been able to you know, visit a school? If you can talk with them about that and get them to share that, obviously you might be able to help them get past that. But more virtual events are going to also help with that, especially if you shift around your content and do some of these things that, that Will and I shared with you today. I would also add, I think you will get more of a focus over the holidays, whether or not they've been doing e-learning with their school during the year or whether they've been hybrid or whether they've been in person. I think there will be more time to sit around and as Will said, figure out, oh my gosh, this is something we gotta get on. But I can also tell you, if you would just personalize your communications and you would do some very targeted reach out, like I'll give you some examples right now, anybody listening to admissions or marketing, this is stuff you can run with today, tomorrow, and it will work. You should be targeting certain groups like students who have visited campus and not filled out an app yet. Students who have done a virtual event in the last three months and like haven't even started applying. Those ones I mentioned earlier who, again, maybe what you might call cold inquiries who have been in your system or cold prospects. You can do personalized targeted outreach to each of those groups and do a very short direct email followed up by a text message trying to figure out the why that Will and I talked about earlier. Not here's another link to apply, go do it. Or here's you know our application. That's great, that's not what they're looking for. They need to understand why now. And if you do that, here's what you're gonna find. If it comes from a human being, which it absolutely needs to come from the counselors as I talked about earlier, you'll get a bunch of students who will say, leave me alone, I'm not interested in your school anymore. Okay, but at least now you know. But you will also, I guarantee you, get a bunch of students who will share if your call to action 
is something that doesn't just push them to apply and tries to gauge what's preventing them from applying or how are they feeling about everything, you will get a ton of engagement for your admissions counselors who then if they understand how to follow up and again, lead the conversation like I said earlier, will figure out really fast what that student needs from you if they're gonna apply. So those are just things that I would argue would help you in the short term, but I agree with everything else Will said. So we have a question here regarding the phrase like personalized communication. Can you give an example of what you mean by that? Yeah, personalized information, it's all about the language and the tone you use, okay? Before I get into that, it's also, because I cannot reiterate this enough, the longer you wait as an admissions office or as a college or university, when you start messaging a prospective student, junior, sophomore, senior, whenever it is, before you introduce their admissions counselor, your job becomes exponentially harder to get that student to do any sort of action throughout the entire process. So when I say personalization, I mean at point one, literally the day they enter your system, the day you buy a prospective student's name, the day they sh you know, show up for an event, virtual, whatever it is, the first person they should hear from should be their admissions counselor. You should introduce them to their admissions counselor, and I could show you all right, all kinds of data that says that's the person I want to be my go-to person if we want to use that phrase throughout this process. So personalization means establishing a point of contact and being consistent. Now back to the language and the tone. It's getting rid of the dears and the sincerelys, like I said earlier, which aren't wrong, but are just overly formal and don't sound personal. It's about being much more direct in your communications. They don't need the fluff and all the bullet points. I'm not saying you can't have bullet points, but I'm saying you know what most college emails and letters look like. Yours shouldn't look like that because the more produced it looks, and by produced I mean you've got an embedded image in the middle and you've got seven things hyperlinked and you've got four things bolded, your social media stuff. The more produced your messaging looks, the less believable it is to students that this actually came from whoever's name is on it. So when I say personalized, or when we say personalized, it's who is the message coming from? What's the language they're using? Are they actually trying to engage the reader? Or are they, I'll, I'll just tell you what admissions counselors tell me. Jeremy, I feel like I'm vomiting, and vomiting is the word verbatim they use to me, information every single time we send stuff out with my name on it. Well, if you don't want it to feel that way and you want it to feel more personal, it needs to try to engage. We'll mention, you know, CTAs, calls to action, instead of having the same three or four transactional calls to action, ask them a targeted direct question related to whatever it is you're talking about or where they might be in the process as a way to engage. If you do all of those things, that's the kind of personalization they're looking for. And I, I'd kind of hammer home just briefly here a related idea of relevance. I mean, think about if someone fills out an inquiry form. I, I'm curious how many how many fields do you have on that inquiry form? Because uh, when I've done secret shopping, it's way more than you need. But think about what you're asking and then take that and make the information relevant. You know, if they say that they're interested in a business major, send them information about that business major from that counselor. So your counselor's telling them, hey, I saw you're interested in business. Here's information about our business program. Don't send them a bunch of really generic things about academics because they already told you what they want. You know, if they say, if, if they come in on inquiry form on your financial aid page, you know where they came from. So speak to them about financial aid. You know, th there's lots of information you collect that you can use to really give them what they need when they need it. Uh, so focus in on that as well. 
Our next question here is asking, how do you work with uh, a marketing and communications team that is really sticking with uh, very rigid university communication standards? How do you work with them to convince them to make your um, relationship building more personalized? To me, at the end of the day, it's 100% a leadership conversation, meaning if you're going to get traction on it, the admissions or EM leadership has to be the one driving that conversation to obviously the marketing and communications leadership. Meaning as an admissions counselor, and I hear this all the time when I do one-on-one -on -one meetings, you know, if you don't know what's going out with your name on it and you hate being caught off guard, for example, when parents or students respond, or which I totally understand and it's totally understandable, you need to go try to have those conversations with the leadership, hoping then that the leadership will understand the more, because I can tell you the schools that are doing everything Will and I talked about to the best of their ability and personalizing, making it more about the student and just being more student-centered, their admissions leadership, their marketing and communications leadership, and in most cases, their financial aid leadership are lockstep with all of these different strategies we're talking about. And they all have seats at the table because they understand they all play an important role and ultimately the same role, right? Which is we're all trying to get the same thing, which is ultimately students to enroll. So that's a conversation that truly, if you're gonna get change, right, has to be brought on by leadership. But I would argue if you're a counselor here going, that's great, Jeremy, but guess what? I'm not in a position of leadership and I've tried this and leadership does nothing, which I understand, seen many cases of that, then all I want you to do as a counselor is control what you can control. Meaning you can control the language and the emails you send out, you can control how personal your phone calls are. You can control a lot of this other stuff that we talked about earlier today. And that's all you can do to the best of your ability. Will, yeah, what do you I, got? I, I think it also comes down to just building trust and, and building connections. I mean, you can't just go in and say, hey, I think we need to do it this way and this is how we're going to do it. You know, when you're talking to other professionals, you can't just go in and, and become the little dictator. You know, you have to be able to go in and say, I want to try this. Propose some A-B tests. You know, you have to think about, too, maybe you're, you're in marketing on this call and you're, you work on controlling the brand standard. And that is so hard at university because students can grab a logo and slap it on anything. You know, trying to control it, you also have to realize that the brand is different things. The brand has different voices depending on the audience. Uh, so go in and say, you know, I feel like we're saying the same things in the same way to the alumni as we do to the community, as we do to prospective students, could we try a different voice with admissions? Maybe it's maybe you can only get a 10 or 25% uh, audience share and say, we want to send different communications to this group. Let's see if that works. You know, if you have someone that you know says no to everything, it's hard to say, yes, this is working. I love what you're doing. Can we make it a little bit better? If we're wrong, we're wrong. But if we're right, we can do even better. Uh, it, it's hard to say, let's not to try to be better. Yeah, and let me add, literally, I, I cannot punctuate what Will just said enough. Because one of the things I do in the trainings I lead is I have one-on-one -on -one conversations, literally with pretty much every member of the admissions team. And the number of counters who pretty much say what Will you know, just said and the person who asked this question said, which is, I take ideas, but I get shut down immediately. And I walk away feeling like I'm dumb. It was a stupid idea. And you know what, Jeremy, and this is what gets shared with me, I'm just gonna stop taking ideas. And so if any of you are thinking like that, please let hear me when I say, don't stop taking ideas and here's why. Number one, for your professional growth individually, 
you need to be thinking, how can I better serve the people we're trying to serve? And number two, all right, even if, as Will said, you can only get traction with 10%, 15%, that's better than nothing. So please don't ever stop taking ideas to the table, even if leadership, for whatever reason, right or wrong, chooses not to move forward on it. And sometimes no can be a wonderful thing because it might be that your idea was only half put together. They say no. If you're persistent and say, okay, how can I think about this differently and come back with a stronger plan? That no was awesome. Okay. Um, Want to try to get a few more questions? Yeah. Sure. I got nowhere to go. Throw them at us. <laughs> okay. So, um, you know, we talked about hopefully in the next few weeks seeing an increase in applications, but, you know, the national conversation has really been turning towards these uh, coronavirus surges in most states in the United States. Uh, do you think that's going to impact this potential increase in applications? I, I don't think so significantly because it's already been on their mind. Uh, you know, it's not like when we saw this first wave. I think if the if the if this had happened now instead of in March, I would say absolutely. By now, it's been over eight months. You know, I don't I don't think that it's going to be. I think it's going to add new fears. It's going to add new stress to students and families. But I don't think that it's going to say, well, we've been delaying for several months here. Let's just delay for several more. There there comes to be a point where you have to, you know, just pull the trigger and take an action. I think that they're almost to that point. Yeah, I could be wrong, but I don't think we're going to see an increase in gap years or anything this year, much like we didn't really this year either. I mean, you're going to have international students, right, who are a whole different segment of the population continue to struggle, but that's for obviously other outside extenuating circumstances as well. But domestically, I don't think you're going to see a lot of students and then hopefully knock on wood for all of us, right, by the time we get to next fall, we have multiple vaccines and have people that are willing to take them because they're tested and they're proven to where some of those fears we'll talk about obviously are alleviated. Yeah, and I think too that, you know, with gap years specifically, you either have to have means to not do a lot that year, or you have to be able to go get a job and, and save up for college. It's not a good job market right now. I think if, if this was happening and for some reason we had a super strong economy, I think more people might take a gap year, work for a year, but that's not what we're seeing. This isn't just something contained to college campuses. It's, it's either you're going to sit at home for a year, which is not a great thing, or you're going to go to college or you'll go out and try to find something. It's not, not really a great time for that. Okay, um, I'll try to get to two more questions. Um, so you mentioned that um, you know, students know how to find colleges on social media. But do you think there's any value on having, you know, the logos and links to your social media account on your, you know, uh, your emails, on your footers in your emails? Oh, yeah. I mean, definitely put it there. It doesn't hurt. Uh, I mean, that's, but if that's your entire message, like if you have an entire email or a postcard dedicated to follow us on social, you're wasting money. You're wasting eyes. Uh, I mean, that's what we saw on, on niche, on profile. You can have different call to actions. And we saw so few students clicking on ones that were dedicated to social media. They already know how to do that. You know, I mean, put it in your footer, put it in, you know, put it in your signature lines. You know, if you want to drop it in the corner of a postcard or in your view book, great. Don't dedicate an entire message to that. 
Yeah, and I would add for separate surveys that we continue to do with clients and have been doing for six years, literally verbatim, one of the questions we ask on the survey every single time is, hey, if you were advising school X, whoever that school is, on how they should be using social media, like where they, where should they be and what should they be showing prospective students? What do they care about? And as Will talked about earlier in the presentation, 100%, the number one thing is, I just wanna see what it's like to be a student at your school, mm -hmm. but I don't wanna see it from admissions. I don't want to see it for marketing communications. I don't want someone with a polo who sounds like they've been told what to say. I just want somebody to show me if I come there, like what's it going to look like? And, you know, one of the things that I wrote on and anybody who's still on right now, which I see there's a lot of you have hung out, which Will and I appreciate it. Send me an email because you can see my email on the screen there and I'll forward you an article I wrote about blogging, blogging with a V. Because I truly believe that every college will do that in the next three to five years. Some already are. But how are you going to show the student lens in a way that feels authentic and is what they use social because they don't come to social media to find out when the next event is or to see press releases or they have no interest in all of that, even though colleges continue to put it up. They go to it because of community, like Will said earlier, mm -hmm. they go to it or they go to like Zimi's amazing. I'm sure some of you use Zimi, right? And Will and I, you know, I think are both pretty supportive of an app like that. It's about community. The reason that they get such a wide following in there of students and prospective students is because it allows them to engage and have that social interaction and hear things from the student point of view. So, Great. Um, so final question. In our survey, you know, we asked students how far from home they were willing to go to college. Um, and right now, it doesn't seem like that is a big factor in their decisions. But do you think that's going to change as they approach their final decision on where to enroll? Yeah, I think I think to a degree. I mean, 40% of people say it doesn't matter. You know, it's going to matter more in the spring. I mean, the parents will put pressure on students. I was just talking to, to a parent this morning who gave me the feedback that, yeah, I totally agree that, that the students are not concerned. I want my kid to stay close, though. You know, I don't want them. And, and some of those will, will play in. But overall, I mean, it has to be about the fit. You know, if, if, the, if there's nothing in your area that's the right fit for that student, they're going to go further away. You know, and if if the perfect college for them is four hours away, that's where they're going to go. Yeah. And what I would add to that is a couple of things. Fit, as Will said, is so important. There will always be a segment of the population that defaults to staying close to home for a whole host of reasons. That's going to continue. But I would argue the majority, meaning more than half, will at least be open every single year to this thought of I'd much rather just find the right fit. And if that's five hour drive away versus 90 minutes, I'm okay with that. Now, here's the key again for everybody listening to this. You have to explain why you're worth going five hours for. Hmm. And you giving a bunch of facts and figures, all right, is not how you explain it. You have to define through conversations, through communications, through all the different things that you do, all right, throughout the year, what is your community all about? Everybody says they have a welcoming community and everybody says they have professors who care if you're small. Great. What does that look like? Because if you can define those things and then here's the real kicker, personalize it enough to get the students you're talking to to understand what it would look like for them, you will have more students and you will have more parents and families who feel comfortable going farther away because again, they understand why the community is so strong or they understand, boy, this school really is set up to prepare my son or daughter for what happens after college and being prepared for whatever that life. But if you don't, again, define those things in a personalized way, 
what students will continue to do, which they have been doing since, you know, the beginning of time in colleges is they will default to the safe, easy decision. And sometimes that's the school closest to home. Sometimes that's the cheapest college on their list. Sometimes that's the biggest name school on their list because they're tired of their friends asking them, you're looking at what school? Like, where is that? They will make the safe, easy decision. And it's not necessarily because that's the right fit, but if they don't understand why they should look at those other schools, you're gonna have a segment that continues to make decisions that way every year. Awesome. Um, well, so one final reminder that we'll be sending out an email with a copy of the slides and a recording of today's presentation, either tomorrow or Monday, and that this recording is also gonna be available uh, shortly on our Enrollment Insights blog. Um, Will and Jeremy, thanks for answering all those questions, and thank you to everyone here for joining us, and we hope to see you at our next webinar.